I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Morning, everybody. Uh, we're live here, Broad Street Hockey Radio. Uh, Broad Street Hockey. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jake. I've been with Broad Street Hockey for a couple months now. Um, loving every second of it. Morning, Ben. Um, so, just quick rundown of how things are going to work here. Obviously, sent out a link. Um, just now sent out a tweet a couple days ago about asking me some questions so we can get the thing rolling a little bit here to start. Um, after I'm done answering some of those questions from Twitter, we'll get to some of the live questions. So if you can just bear with me, uh, let me get through the Twitter questions first. Um, scrolling through Facebook is, is difficult, unfortunately. So. Uh, like I said, just bear with me, and uh, we'll try to get to every question that I can. Um, Jerry, Sean, nice to see you guys. So, uh, first question I got here is from uh, Veteran Presence. Awesome, awesome name, by the way. Uh, so, his question was, to name a few young players who you would be willing to trade Sandheim for in a one-for-one deal... Um, and he mentions, I like him, by the way. Um, so I'm assuming this isn't something where people are actually curious about trading Sandheim. Um, I would hope not anyway. Um, in terms of one-for-one -one trades, that's such a hard question to answer. One-for-one um, -one trades don't even really happen that often in hockey. Uh, and, you know, Sandheim, again, is really not somebody I think that Flyers should look to move. I think he's somebody they should really kind of lean on, honestly, going into next year. He, he played like a top-four defenseman for them in the 35 or so games that he started the year with. He came back after going down for the Phantoms and played even better after that. Um, you know, I, I think he's somebody that they should really give a larger role next year. But, you know, just to kind of play along, so to speak, with that question, um, you know, young players... I don't know if there's anybody necessarily one for one. Like I said, it's hard to go one for one. I think you're looking at young players like, you know, a Mitch Marner or, or William Nylander from Toronto. You got to kind of think of teams that I guess are looking for defense help. Um, you know, Nashville's not looking for defense help necessarily unless they look to move somebody like Ryan Ellis. But Tolvanen is a, is a young player that, you know, a lot of people liked out of the draft, including myself. Um, had a great year in the KHL, would obviously be a, a great addition to the Flyers being a, a shoot-first type player, sniper type, pure scorer. Um, 
again, I don't know if that's a one-for-one one necessarily, but that could be something that could interest the Flyers in that sense. Um, somebody like Elias Pettersson from Vancouver. I mean, Vancouver's a, a rebuilding team. You know, they could use just about anything at this point. Um, and obviously Elias Pettersson, I think, is going to be a big part of that. So I wouldn't imagine that they'd be looking to move somebody that could be a future cornerstone of their franchise. But, you know, something along those lines, I guess. Um, I think if you're moving Sanheim, it's going to be probably for a young forward. I wouldn't imagine, you know, moving Sanheim for a young defenseman because he is a young defenseman. You don't really need to move a young defenseman for a young defenseman. Kind of defeats the purpose. Otherwise, you might keep them. Um, so the next set of questions here is from Ian Harland. Um, so Ian asks, do you think Sam Moran will be a flyer in the long run? With his expected recovery of six to nine months and with Myers being almost NHL ready, it doesn't seem like there is a space for him. Um, he had another question, but I'll, I'll break this up a little bit here. So Sam Moran being a flyer in the long run. Great question. I don't know if I have an answer for that. Um, if, if I'm thinking, you know, long-term, they don't have a lot of spots, right? I mean, you're looking at guys like Sanheim, Provorov, Ghost, uh, being staples. Haig seems to be someone that they really like um, as more of a, you know, quote-unquote, shut-down defensive pair uh, defenseman. Um, you know, Myers is up and coming and... and wouldn't be surprised if he leapfrogs him in camp um, just because Moran's not going to be there. So uh, to me, it comes down to Moran and Haig. I, I think Sandheim and Myers are going to be talented enough that they're going to outshine guys like Moran. I think Ghost and Provar are obviously locks at this point, and rightfully so. Um, so you're looking at Moran and Haig kind of to decide, you know, what you like, pros and cons of the two. Um we have more of a sample size of Haig. Obviously, he played two or three years pro Sweden. Came over here, played three years AHL, um, and now full season in NHL. So they have a larger sample size with him. Um, he's a little conservative for my liking, um, but he's obviously somebody that Axel loves. I mean, he, he leaned on him all year up until the playoffs, which was a little odd, but... Um, He's somebody the coaching staff obviously likes. You know, with Sam, I think he's still behind the eight ball, unfortunately. You know, they, they keep kind of seeing him in spurts, right? I mean, he had full seasons in the AHL, but nothing NHL-wise. He had one game this year uh, very early on and got sent back down, um, was supposed to come back up, ended up having an injury he didn't really want to disclose at the time. And I think that's it kind of built throughout the year to the point where he only played 15 games. And so by the time he got ready for the, for the playoffs, he ended up with that ACL injury. It's, it's really just a rough year for Sam. Um, you know, I think a lot of you guys probably saw his tweet yesterday about, you know, making sure he wants to prove to everybody that he's an NHL player and he's going to be a great in the NHL. And he had a, it was a really tough year and it's been a learning experience for him. And that's great that he's got that attitude. You know, I'd love to see him come back stronger than ever and, Hopefully sometime in the second half of the year he can suit up for the for the Flyers and make an impact. But 
um, to me, like I said, you're looking at Haig and Moran being the decision there. Um, and unfortunately for Sam, you know, he's going to miss maybe more than half of the year and not going to have a lot of time to really um, prove his worth, so to speak. Um, so long term, um, it may come down to him possibly being moved. Um, it's unfortunate. He wasn't Hextel pick. It does sound like Hextel has any type of real allegiance to him. Neither was Haig, but like I said, Haig's played in the NHL. He's got some experience there. So, um, Second part of that question from Ian was, speaking of Myers, when do you expect him to be with the Flyers? Make it out of camp, another year in Lehigh, first call up for an injury. So, given the news with Moran, if I were in Hextall's shoes, I would have Myers um, right up there for consideration of making the team out of camp. That's just what I see at this point. I mean, he only he only has 50 games of experience in the AHL. I get that. It's not a lot of necessarily a lot of you know pro experience. Uh, but when he played, he was really good. You know, I mean, if you guys have been following Brad on from Broadstreet Hockey, you know, he's put out a lot of numbers on. Um, the Phantoms, in terms of you know their advanced numbers, of course, either you know, play driving numbers, if you will. Um, Myers has been up near the top for you know all year, basically. He had a few stints, um, you know, here and there where he didn't look too great, kind of coming back from injury, things like that. But especially when he got paired with uh, Sandheim, when Sandheim got back to, sat bit, sent back down, excuse me, to the AHL um, in the second half of the year, he just lit it up. Um, big, he's mobile, he's got an edge to him, um, which is something the Flyers' defense could, frankly, use. Um, you know, he, he can provide offense from the back end. Um, got to work on penalties. He's, he's not the greatest at that at this point. I think he's gets a little too emotional out there sometimes, but... Um, He's a guy that you know I would I would look to strongly consider this year um, for at least a third pairing role. You know, again, he's right-handed, something the Flyers don't have a lot of, um, and he can push play up the ice, and that's something that the Flyers really struggle with um, for a few seasons now under Hackstall, and even going back to Berube, they really have struggled in getting the puck out of their own zone, and. That's because, for the most part, they haven't had a lot of defensemen that are very good at that. Um, you know, you, you get these chip-it-off-the-glass kind of safe defensemen, and it's it's not really a great way to go. You know, if you can get defensemen that can control the puck, control the play, push up the ice, um, either themselves or with a nice breakout pass, um, you know, I mean, just watching the playoffs now, you can see guys, you know, with Vegas and Washington even, you know, guys like Orloff and Carlson, um, Schmidt, who Washington let go to Vegas, um, you know, even going to Nashville with their decor, Tampa Bay with their decor, you know, even the Penguins, I mean, they don't have a lot of quote-unquote names on their back end, and I wouldn't necessarily call them, you know, a great defense core, but those guys can move the puck. They're fast, I mean, and, and they can move the puck with their passing. So, I mean, I, that's the way the NHL is going now. That's the way I think the Flyers have to go. 
And when you have a guy like Myers, who, granted, is only 20 years old and you know only has 50 games of, any, of AHL experience, it's not a lot of time. But you know, if he can help the team now, I think you have to consider it. Especially, like I said, with Moran going down, I think that opens up the, the window a little bit more for Myers to make the team. So realistically, you know, I'd like to hope that Hextall is going to consider him strongly, and I'd like to hope that Hextall is going to give him enough time. Um, but those are things you have to consider, right? It's unfortunate, but you kind of have to work around the coach there also. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, if it were me, if I were in Hextall's shoes, I would have Myers up on the team, I think, this year. Again, you know, it depends on camp, too. I mean, I don't anticipate him having a terrible camp. If he does, that changes things, obviously. But, um, you know, I would strongly consider Myers for the camp and if, if for the team. And if not, he goes back down to Lehigh. He plays top pair minutes. It's not the worst thing in the world. And he's first call-up without, without question. Um Next question from Bucky Barnes. So with Sam Moran basically ruled out for next season, what are your ideal defense pairings? So yeah, a lot of questions from Sam Moran for Sam, obviously, given what happened this week. Um, ideal defense pairs. So strictly, again, putting myself in Hextall's shoes, not necessarily from a realistic sense, but um, from just a gut feel, Program and Ghost would be my top pair. I don't think it's... You know, let's not overthink this, right? I mean, they were fantastic last year. They were one of, the, honestly, one of the best defense pairs in the NHL uh, from the time they got put together until even through the playoffs, even with Go struggling, even with Provorov not just necessarily being healthy. Um, I don't think you need to overthink that. They're dynamic. They push the puck up the ice. Um, you know, it, it truly becomes a five-man unit when those two are together with whatever three forwards are out there. So. That's, to me, locked in top pair next year. Uh, in terms of the second pair, again, realistically, I think ideally you're potentially trading for a top four defenseman. Um, I don't have anything against Gudis. Uh, you know, I, I, I think he had a bad year. He almost killed Sean Yeah, <laughs> we, we get all that, right? I mean, it's, it's he had just a terrible year, and I think it just all kind of snowballed after he got put with Manning um, in Los Angeles as a, as a defense partner. Um, but he's got a lot more sample size with the Flyers in particular behind him to say that he's, you know, he's got top four potential. I don't think it's, it's that he's a bad defenseman um, at all. I think he's quite useful, to be honest. Um, um, but I think ideally, you know, I mentioned this in articles that I've written over the past couple of weeks, you're looking to trade for a top top four defenseman, someone like a Dougie Hamilton, someone like an Oscar Clefbaum, um, guys that are young, cost-controlled, um, have for multiple years, and you know you can plug in with this defense core and grow. It's it's not that I don't trust, you know, Myers to eventually send to that role or Moran or, or Haig or whatever. It's more or less just the more assets you have, the better off you are. You know, the more talent you have, the better off you are. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world if Myers ends up being a third-paired defenseman on a team that has Provorov, Ghost, Sanheim, and, say, Dougie Hamilton in your top four, right? I mean, that just makes your team that much deeper and that much harder to play against. So, um, 
yeah, ideally I would have Provorov and, and Ghost as your top pair, Sanheim and somebody you trade for as that partner for Sanheim. And then on the third pair, I would have Myers um, and and probably Haig. I think Myers and Haig could be a nice defense pair. Um, you know, Haig can be that kind of steady defenseman, you know, defensive defenseman, quote unquote, that you know can actually skate, which is nice. Um, and then Myers can be the aggressive, you know, offensive defenseman plays with a physical edge. I, th- I think that could work out fairly well. You know, both guys can. Like I said, skate, Myers can move the puck probably significantly better than Haig, but I think Haig's still got a little bit of potential there, honestly. He's got good passing ability. Um, he just doesn't use it consistently enough. Um, realistically, I think you're still looking at McDonald being in this group somewhere, so um, maybe, uh, maybe it's time for Myers to get the McDonald initiation, right? I mean, we saw it with Provorov and Ghost, saw it with Sanheim last year. He seems to be the defense whisperer, so to speak. So, you know, maybe you have McDonald and Myers in your third pair, Sanheim and Gudis being the second pair. Um, really liked what I saw from them last year. Honestly, I'm not sure what the coaching staff didn't like. They pushed play better than even, you know, Provorov and Ghost were at that point. I mean, obviously they were with different guys, uh, but they were really their top defense pair through the first, like, 15 games or so of the season, I thought. Um, you know, based on their underlying metrics of play driving, their, you know, expected goals, um, they're fantastic together. So I would definitely go back to that if they're going to hang on to Gudis and, and Sanheim's going to get a more prominent role, hopefully. That's a second pair that I think could be pretty solid. Um, and then again, Pro Robin goes being your top pair. Flyers are in good position next year, I think, with their, with their defense. They have a lot of options, um, not a lot of bad ones, really. You know, and, and hopefully it, you kind of push McDonald down the depth chart to at least a third-pairing role where he's not killing you with big minutes. Um, so the last question I got with Twitter was from Brian Cole. Uh, Brian asked, how should the novice interpret modern statistics like Corsi when visibly inferior players have better stats than clearly better players? And then he mentions Gudis and Manning versus Provorov. So what he's referring to, if you guys aren't really familiar with, you know, Corsi advanced metrics, things like that, Manning and Gudis technically had better Corsi numbers, better, you know, shot total numbers, for lack of a better, you know, layman's terms, I guess, um, than Prokhorov in terms of shots for versus shots against. Um, so in terms of like the novice, you know, how to explain that, Basically, shots for versus shots against is what Corsi boils down to. And if you look at guys like Manning and Gudis, you know, Manning and Gudis, particularly Gudis, I mean, basically, anytime they're in the offensive zone and they have the puck at the point, they're firing away. So that's kind of inflating their numbers in a sense. Um, you know, even if they're not getting on net, it's it's a shot. So it's, it's counting towards that total. Um, whereas guys like Provorov, you know, they're, they're out there against top lines, you know, he's, he's playing big minutes, but he's out there against top lines, and uh, there's going to be times where, unfortunately, he gets stuck in a defensive zone playing defense, and he's not going to have as many shots. So at that point, you're going to see guys like Manning and Gudis, you know, rack up those totals. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a better player, right? I mean, you have to take other things into account. That's why, 
you know, it's Corsi and expected goals, things like that, tend to be the ones that people lean on because, you know, they have the most reliability at this point. Um, you know, I think advanced statistics are still fairly young in the NHL, so it's, it's something, and it's, it's a constant flow game. So it's hard to, you know, really lock down um, tendencies and, and um, you know, big-time uh, percentages, um, correlations, things like that with a constant flow game, um, whereas, you know, compared to a sport like baseball where it's literally a singular event every single time batter versus pitcher. Um, it's a lot easier to break that down into, into numbers. Um, doesn't mean it can't be done. It's just, it's more difficult. So a lot of things, you know, but it's still, a lot of things have to be taken into account um, when you're looking at things like that. And so, yeah, there's, there's going to be times where, you know, if, if giving advice on that, and again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on that. You know, I, if you follow my Twitter, I definitely talk about this stuff a lot, but it's, I wouldn't call myself a, a you know, an expert on it necessarily. I'm still learning a lot about it myself. Um, but, you know, that's where I constantly talk about combining the eye test and the analytics. You know, it's, it's, it should never be a situation where you're gung-ho one way or the other because um, you're just, you're missing information at that point um, willingly. And that's not smart, right? So you should always be looking to compare what you see versus compared to, you know, what you're reading or... or what you're researching, and just form your own form your own conclusions from there. Um, you know, like the example he gave, Budis and Manning versus Provorov. I think you know everyone could see Provorov's a better defenseman, right? It's not rocket science. You don't necessarily need numbers to show that, but it doesn't hurt to have numbers to support that that argument. Um, so that's all my Twitter questions. It was, Fairly short, long answers, but fairly short. Um, so if you guys have any questions for me, I'll be glad to answer those now. Um, let's see if I can scroll through here. Good to some Brant Moran in March 2019. So, so Moran's going to be on the team. Um, this year he'll probably he'll start on I'm sure like you know non non roster injured um, just because he's he's gonna be hurt right but he has to be on the team this year due to his uh, contract status now um, he's been pro for for too long to be waiver exempt so um, whenever he comes back he will sit up for the Flyers see so, so yeah March 2019. That's a fair estimate when he comes back. Um, sorry, the top part of that question cut off. I couldn't really see that. Um, Anthony, let's sit back and relax next year with no expectations of a championship and wait for all these kids to come up in 2020 and then the fun first begins. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. You know, there's, this, this team's got a lot of youth in the pipe, right? So um, I don't know if I would necessarily say sit back and relax with no expectations. I, I think Hextall's in good position this offseason, and I wrote about this you know, extensively. Um, he's in a good position this year to, to make some moves this offseason to put this team in better position for next season. I, I don't think you can really, aff- not miss- I, won't, I won't say you can't afford to sit back. I mean, if he wants to, if he wants to go that kind of Winnipeg route where 
he waits, you know, seven years or whatever it was to kind of get the youth movement going and, and established and then make your move towards the championship. I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world necessarily, but, you know, again, you're looking at guys like Jeroen Vortek who are getting up there. They're, they're 30 and 31 going into the next season, and I know they're coming off of big years, but I don't think anybody's going to expect them to put up 102 and, and what was it, 86 points for Vortek last year. Especially with Drew putting up 102. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. That's that's not something I would necessarily rely upon going into the next season. Um, so you're going to have some some drop back. You're going to have some give and take. Obviously, you hope other guys step forward. But, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Drew falls all the way back down into the 70s next year in points. And that's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of points to make up with just guys that you're going to bring up from the farm or um, keep – from the current roster, I mean, where where is that replacement production going to come from, right? So, you know, I, I think it's important for him to use what he has at his disposal. Um, you know, try to go out there and make something happen. I, you know, I, I don't think it's it's a situation where he needs to sit back. I don't think it's a situation where you know, I mean, they have the cap space now. You know, he's he's worked through that. He's he's done well in that regard to create the cap space to. You know, and maybe that was the plan all along to have this cap space for this summer with guys like Tavares coming available. I'm not saying that Tavares is going to be the number one target by any means, but, um, you know, for this year and next year with guys like Tavares and Dowdy and Carlson and all those big name, you know, players potentially being available, um, maybe that was the plan all along to kind of have that spaced out so you have this cap space now. And so, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a time for me where you're just going to sit back and say, yeah, I'm good with what we had, um, especially with the coach that's in place. I think they need to do a better job of, um, you know, if they're going to be bringing in stopgap veterans for players, bring in good ones, right? I mean, let's not go out there and get Dale Weeses and your Lateras. Let's go out there and, and try to get actually useful players that – you know, can add to production or at the very least drive play up the ice and, and allow, you know, your other dynamic players to put up points. Um, Jody asked, do you think Simmons gets traded? I mean, if I had to put a percentage on it, I would say it's probably about 40%. I wouldn't put a high percentage on Wayne Simmons getting traded. I think they, they love Wayne Simmons. I don't see them moving Wayne Simmons. I mean, we saw... I think it's a smart move. You know, I've talked about it quite extensively, even over, you know, before coming into this year, I think it's the right move. Um, I think this past season, I know he's, he was injury plagued, but you can kind of use that maybe as a measuring stick moving forward in, in terms of what you can expect from him as he gets older. Um, he's, he's a power forward that's 185 pounds. And, you know, we, we've seen pictures of Wayne Simmons with two thick legs, right? I mean, for a guy that's built like that to play a power forward game, I feel like that's just a recipe for disaster moving forward in, in terms of his production rate. He's always going to be a guy that's going to give it his all. He's always going to be a guy that, that, you know, leads by example. And, and I love that about Wayne Simmons. And, and don't get me wrong, this isn't me saying that I don't like Wayne Simmons. I love Wayne Simmons. love him since he stepped on the ice in orange and black. But He's going to be doing a big pay raise, and I, I, I don't want to see the back end of that deal in a flyer uniform. Um, so, you know, would I trade him? Yes. Do I think he gets moved? 
I don't like the odds of him getting moved. I think they ultimately end up putting him, you know, in a fairly long-term deal. And um, if they do, great. They're just going to have to do a better job moving forward of putting him in position to succeed. You know, I mean, that's what that's what coaches are supposed to do. Uh, Sean, what is your honest opinion on when the Flyers could be true contenders, and what do you think the time frame is on Carter Hart? So, first question, true contenders. Honestly, and again, like I, I was kind of alluding to earlier, I think if Hextall does what he should do this offseason, I don't see the Flyer, I don't see any reason why the Flyers couldn't contend, at least in the Eastern Conference, um, as soon as this coming season. You have Giroux and Voracek coming off of big years, um, so you know they're not going to fall off a cliff necessarily. I mean, I mentioned Giroux going back to maybe in the 70-point range. That's still a near-point-per-game player. It's still a very useful top-line, elite-level production, right? Voracek, I think he can stay in that 70-80-point to 80 point range for another year or so. Um, Couturier jumping up and becoming a, you know, a true number-one center now is huge for them. Nolan Patrick moving forward. Um, I think we see more of what we saw the second half of the year where, you know, he's producing at more like a 45-ish point pace. And if he gets, you know, power play one time, I don't see any reason why he can't get, you know, closer to the 50-point range given his skill set, um, you know, and a, and a full summer of training to, to work on his body and, and work on his skating and work on his shot and all those things he mentioned in his exit interviews. Um, Travis Konechny, hopefully being in the top six permanently now. You know, we're not messing with that anymore, hopefully. Um, Sanheim getting a bigger role. You know, Provorov and, and Ghost starting the season together and, and, and hopefully staying that way for most of the year. You know, I think they have key pieces in place. Limblom being a part of the bottom six, um, middle six, whatever you want to call it, moving forward and, and you know, hopefully... Um, getting more used to the NHL speed and the NHL game. Um, you know, maybe even a guy like Morgan Frost surprising in camp and, and, and making a role. I mean, they, they have a lot of options here. And so I think, again, they should use those options and, and, and try to make this team better next, going into next season. Um, to me, the, the biggest hangups are, are the coach and the goal and the goaltending situation. Um, and the goaltending situation, I mean, when you really think about it, Elliott was top, was one of the better goalies in the league at five on five before he got hurt. Haxel just kind of ran him into the ground, which he's done the past three years as a head coach. He did it with Mason. He's, he's done it with Newby multiple times. Not that with Newby's necessarily his fault. Newby just kind of made a glass at this point. But I mean, as a coach, you should know that. And now Elliott. So. Uh, you know, I think transitioning that into Carter Hart, I wouldn't be surprised if by, you know, 1920, um, he's at least a backup. I think this year he spends the time in the AHL. Um, you know, I tweeted out earlier, um, and by earlier, I mean a couple of days ago, there was a story on, on him about how he wants to make the NHL this year, and, and that's his goal, and it's in his dream, and that's great. And I, I would want nothing. I would expect nothing else from him. You know, I, I would obviously love him to think that he can make the Flyers this year and, and you know, help this team win. Now, um, just realistically, it's it's pretty rare for twenty-year-old goalies to step in without any pro experience um, and contribute right away. So, I think realistically, he spends this year in the AHL, and then you go from there. If if he has a strong year in the AHL. 
there's no reason to believe he can't be up here the next season. You know, you have guys like Elliott and Newby, their contracts are going to be up, if Newby's even still here. Elliott, for sure. Um, Alex Lyon, he's still, he's a, you know, he's going to be a free agent this offseason. I imagine they bring him back. Um, so, depending on, you know, if it's a one- or a two-year deal with him, um, you're going to have him in the system. Um you know, Sandstrom's a guy you can't forget about being over in Sweden. He signed another one-year deal for them, so he's going to be over there for another year. Um, you know, but yeah, breaking it down, I mean, I think the realistic time frame, I would say maybe two years even at the latest with Carter Hart. He's just, he's doing things that not a lot of goalies can say they've done. Um, no goalie really can say they've done. I mean, they have the awards maybe even going on right now for... Um, Canadian, the CHL, um, he was up for goal of the year and, and, uh, MVP of the CHL. Um, if he wins CHL goal of the year, it'll be his second time in three years. He'll be the only goalie in the history of the award to ever do that. So he's, he's in a league of his own in that regard. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, his season was absolutely ridiculous this year. So he's, you know, it, all goalies are weird, and I, I don't want to put that extra pressure on Hart to be the guy necessarily right away, um, which is why I say I think he spends the year in the AHL. And again, you know, with Hextall, you always hear some side of caution, right? So, um, but at the same time, like I said, he's doing things that not a lot of goalies can say they've done at 17, 18, and 19 years old. So I think it's fair to assume that he could make a push as soon as you know, 1920. Um, Flyers seem to be two years away for 10 years now. Yeah, Tom, I mean, it's unfortunate. I think we're, we're getting into, like, Cubs territory here in terms of having that always next, there's always next year mentality. Um, and again, that's that's why I've been harping on this entire show with Hextall, you know, making a stronger push this offseason and being a little more creative and being a little more bold. And being a little more willing to, to help the NHL roster this year, not just moving forward. Goalie tandem for next season. Awesome question. Elliot, I think, is a lock. Um, I like Brian Elliott. I think he's a solid kind of 1A or 1B option in a tandem. Uh, as long as I use him right. Right? So that's I think it's a bigger key. Um, the other goalie... I, th I think Steph maybe touched on this last week. Um, you know, Alex Line is, is a potential option there. I wouldn't mind them going out and signing a guy. I, you know, I, I mistakenly talked about trading for Carter Hutton in one of my articles. He's actually a free agent. Carter Hutton would be a guy that I wouldn't mind bringing in on a one-year deal to kind of solidify that tandem, um, seeing if you can move Newby. You know, Nubi, I think, in terms of just raw talent between him and Elliott and Lyon, I think Nubi's actually the, the more talented goalie. It's just he can't stay healthy long enough to really make that worth, you know, his actual value, I guess. So, um, you know, I, I think they're better off kind of looking either the trade route. You know, the free agent market's really thin. Hutton is basically it. You could look at somebody like Grubauer with, with Washington as a restricted free agent. Um, you know, I wouldn't offer sheet him necessarily, but maybe looking to trade for him. Uh, you know, I, I think Washington's a team to really look for, honestly. Sam Sonov is, is coming over. I don't see him coming over 
willingly to play in the AHL. I think that's that's a situation where they're going to want him. He's going to want to be in the NHL anyway. Um, you know, if they're not looking to move Holtby, which I doubt they will now that they're in the Cup final, um, Grubauer is a nice option as as a, a tandem goalie. Um, but yeah, I, I think Elliott's a definite lock in for that, and then you kind of go from there. I would scour the market, try to find something a little better, a little more stable than newbie. You know, I don't think you have to go out and sign somebody long term necessarily, but you know, look at because we just got done discussing Carter Hart. Um, but definitely, I would look for an upgrade over over newbie, just somebody that can sustain himself a little bit more. Um, so Craig, who's coming to help next year from the farm? Are we going to get any better if only likely additions are Phil Myers and NAK? So, uh, who's coming to help from the farm? Uh, well, you mentioned two of them there, Myers and, and Nick Obey-Cubell. Um, and there's varying opinions now on, on Obey-Cubell, uh, especially this year, given his three suspensions. I don't know what's, what the deal is with that. He never really struck me as that kind of player. You know, I watched him all through juniors. I mean, he's physical. He's always been a physical player, but he's never been somebody that's been, like, towing the line necessarily and then going over it. Uh, so this was a weird year for him. I don't know if he was just trying to impress coaches, um, thinking that, you know, maybe they told him, look, you're not going to be a top six guy in the NHL. you got to try to be more of a, of a bottom six grinder, which, I mean, I get on my soapbox and talk about roles. But... To save all of you guys some time, um, you know, that may have been something that, that was, you know, put across his desk, so to speak. And so he decided he was going to be a little more physical and a little more chippy. And, and it resulted in three suspensions this year. Uh, but he was also one of the best five and five players in the AHL this, this season. So he clearly has the talent, if applied correctly, to be productive. I, don't, I mean, how productive that is at the NHL level, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a 50-point player, but I think he could be a useful bottom six player. Um, you know, 20-point player maybe in his rookie year. I think that's a solid production from a 20, see, 21 years old, former second-round pick. Um, you know, Myers, like I talked about earlier, I, th I think should be strongly considered this year. Um, Danik Martell is a guy that, you know, a lot of people liked when he first came up. He's got a lot of speed. I don't know if he's ever going to score a ton of goals like he did early in the AHL year, and he really kind of tailed off after that. So, you know, he doesn't have a, like a long track record necessarily um, of a guy that can really put up a lot of points and put up a lot of goals. Um, but I don't think you can not consider, you know, him fighting out a spot. I mean, you know, he's, he's fast and he's got some skill. So I, I think they have to consider guys like that. Um, you know, Lindblom, I, I think, is, is a lock. I don't know if you would even really consider him a phantom. I don't. Um, I think who else you could really look at? Uh, you know, Friedman, I think, is still a couple years away, but um, a strong season. Um, so I think he's someone, kind of a dark horse that a lot of people have kind of brushed aside just because of the of the bigger name defenseman, but Mark Freeman's a guy that I think everybody should have their eye on moving forward. He's more talented than I think people give him credit for. Um, you know, Alex Lyon, again, do you really consider him a fan of he's possible as, as, as a backup goalie? Who else? Um, 
you know, Vecchioni, I don't know if he's ever going to be somebody that, that they really look at. I think he'll he'll get a shot at the 4C, but if they're still considering Lawton for that position, I think Lawton's basically got that one locked in, even though he played wing towards the end of the year. I think he's better off at the 4C. Um, trying to think of other guys. I mean, the Vorobiev, I don't know how I forgot Vorobiev. Vorobiev is, 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 is a big piece um, for me. Um, I don't, I, not necessarily in, in the sense that I think he's going to be a top six forward, but big piece in the sense that I, I think he's a strong consideration for either the three or the four C going into camp. I think he should be anyway. They really like his game. Um, he's been hurt on and off all year, so you know it's one of those things where it's unfortunate you didn't get to see a full season of him necessarily. But I think he's definitely somebody that they should consider for that position. Um, you know, Brad from. From Brosby Hockey, likes to compare him a lot to Couturier. I, I don't know if I would go that far necessarily, but stylistically speaking, I can see it when you watch him. Um, he's kind of that slower, methodical, not that he's slow necessarily of foot, but he plays the slower game. Um, you know, likes to think the game through. He's strong on the puck. He's strong along the boards. He's great defensively. So, you know, he'd be a strong consideration for, in my eyes, um, for a bottom six you know, center position. Um, how do you fix the penalty kill from Tom? How do you fix the penalty kill when management refuses to fix the penalty kill? <laughs> uh, cross your fingers, I guess. <laughs> uh, that I mean, that's, that's a tough question to answer. I, I That was the biggest surprise from the exit interviews for me. I don't know how they can go off of four years of data and four years of just even the eye test and watching this penalty kill and think, yeah, let's let's do that again. Like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't see how I don't get it. Um, I think you you kind of like, like Hextall alluded to, you know, want to go out and get penalty killers. So getting better personnel certainly helps. It can't hurt, um, but unless they're put in better position, you know, unless they're they're put in proper position to be a little more aggressive and and not just allow guys to stand in front of the crease and bang in rebound goals, I, you know, I don't really know how much better they're going to get. There's a, there's a clear ceiling on that for me um, with Lappy as, as the PK coach. And, you know, maybe they shuffle things around. I mean, like Hextall alluded to, there was, you know, a possibility, I guess, of them shifting the coaching roles on the bench. But, I mean, what I don't know what that's really going to do. Um you still have the same kind of minds working there. Um, I don't know. You know, hopefully you see Lappy change. <laughs> kind of cross your fingers and hope that Lappy has an epiphany and, and discovers, you know, a better way to use the penalty kill. But until they find, their, find a new coach, I don't think this, this team's going to be very good on the penalty kill at all. Um, Steph, hey Steph. Jake, which forward prospects are you most excited about? Prospects I'm most excited about, um, Frost has to be at the top, obviously. I mean, we're not considering Patrick and Konechny as prospects anymore, I don't think. So Frost is number one for me. Um, I didn't know too much about him. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know too much about him going into the draft. Um, but the more I did research on him, the more I liked him. And he just absolutely blew up this year, kind of out of nowhere. Um, you know, there was talk that maybe he was being... I guess not sheltered, but kind of kept down by, by the top guys in Sault Ste. Marie last year and wasn't really able to be put on display, so to speak. And that may be why he 
didn't really show the offensive output output um, last year that he did this season, but he was phenomenal this year. Um, you know, a, a guy that likes to play at a slower pace, but can ask that has the skating ability and has the burst to blow by you if he wants to. You know, high hockey IQ. Um, he's on the small side, but I don't think it's out of the realm possibility that he is a center moving forward. I, I think it, it depends on how much he can really pack on weight-wise. Um, he's got definitely got a smaller frame. I think he's built more like Travis Sanheim than than somebody like Nolan Patrick, where you know he's he's got that lanky kind of body, and um, it may be a little bit harder for him to pack on weight, and that may keep him out of the NHL coming to this season. But um, I don't think, based on his 200-foot play, you know, I don't think it's right to just assume that he's going to be a wing in the NHL. I think you have to explore the possibility of him being center and, and kind of expect it, honestly, given his, like I said, his 200-foot game, his playmaking ability. Um, those are things you want in the center, and those are things you want you know, your best player on the ice to be able to do and, and cover most of the ice. And if he's going to be one of your best players when he's out there, you know, I wouldn't limit him to the wing necessarily. Um, other forward prospects, I mean, in terms of guys that can help immediately, I mean, Obi Kubo, like I talked about, I, I know staff, you in particular, I know aren't too high on him right now, given his propensity for, for suspensions, but you know, it's not necessarily, he's a high skill guy, but he's a skill guy and he's got way more skill than most of the guys they have currently in their bottom six. So, you know, going into the next season, I would hope that he gets a, lo- a long look, um, you know, other forward prospects, I mean, Rubsov, that's a guy I've been high on since he was drafted, right? I mean, I kind of led the bandwagon there. Um, he hasn't quite produced at the level I was hoping, especially this year, uh, but he's still been moved around a lot. It's it's hard. I, I think it's something you have to take into consideration. You know, he's he's been on like four different teams in the last two years. That's a lot for anybody to handle, especially for somebody that is coming to a different continent, doesn't speak a lick of French or English, and he's expected to just make friends and teammates, <laughs> you know, right off the bat like that and produce at the same time at a top level. So I think being in the AHL this year, now that he's graduating, I think is going to be huge for him. Um, I think it, it fits his game a little bit more. I think he plays more of a pro-style game, to be honest, in terms of his two-way ability. Um you know, I, I talked extensively on Twitter about, you know, hoping that he gets to that fifth and sixth gear a little more often than he does. I think he tends to stay in first and second way too often. And, and I don't know if that's just because he's that's how he surveys the ice or if or what, but he has a skating ability to stay in fifth and sixth for the whole game, really. So I think it's similar to Haig in that sense where they were trying to unlock that from him to get him to, you know, stay at this level for for a 60-minute game, um, if he can do that, I think he can be a solid middle six forward. If he if he stays where he, where he is now, he may turn just kind of turn out to be a bottom six kind of checker, quote unquote. That's um, not necessarily going to put up a ton of points, but it's going to put up solid two-way play. Um, but not giving up on him yet. <laughs> He's still one of my one of my favorite players to watch. Honestly, I just I just love the style of play. Bufflin would look great in orange and black. Yeah, he would. Um, he would. He'd bring a physical presence to the to the 
to the back end. I don't know if it's somebody that Winnipeg would really necessarily be looking to move, um, but it's possible. They do have a lot of guys that are coming up on, on contracts. Um, Truba, you know, Line A, uh, Connor, uh, you know, Hutch, uh, not Hutchison, <laughs> Hellbuck. Um, those guys are all going to be getting huge raises and maybe, you know, the Buffalo ends up getting kind of priced out, so to speak. So it's possible, but um, certainly remind it. Uh, isn't he busy playing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ruby the Fortnite god. Gotta stop playing the video games. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of consensus. Just kind of as an aside, going off of that, I guess. I know a lot of people ripped. I don't know who it was. The the Twitter guy, not the original guy, not Merrick, but the guy who followed up saying you a lady was the guy was the prospect. Um, Merrick really didn't get enough heat though for for what he did. I mean that that wasn't right. He I know he didn't technically name the player. But saying it's a first-round pick that's still in juniors for a highly touted organization or whatever it was long as I mean, come on, you're you're like you're asking for people to go researching and digging and trying to find it out, and if you're not trying to out the guy, you shouldn't have said anything in the first place. So I mean, just because you didn't name him specifically doesn't mean that you didn't out him. Um, so you know, again, just kind of an inside. Little soapbox moment there. Um, I had a real issue with with Merrick going on the podcast and going off on that. Um, let's see if you have any other questions here. Facebook is terrible with a scrolling option. Um, Yeah, yeah, stuff. I, I, I think you mentioned it um, on Twitter as well. I mean, it's 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 a problem to me. I don't I don't understand why you're gonna you know kind of bash the guy who tried to out you a lady and be wrong about it, but then I mean you were the one that brought it up in the first place. <laughs> so if you if you weren't expecting anything to come from that, I don't know what planet you're living on. Um, that was that was always going to be an issue, and I, I think unfortunately sooner or later it's going to come out. Uh, what do you think of Strom? Uh, Matt Strom, he's he's interesting. Matt Strom is interesting. I know uh, Kurt uh, is a huge fan of his. Uh, he's a really interesting player. I think his skating is horrendous. It's still not good, and that's something he's he's obviously going to have to work on. It's not just speed. It's just it's it's technique. And it's interesting you watch his brothers skate, and their brothers are pretty good skaters. But he, I guess, the apple fell too far from the tree with with them. But I mean, he's got a, he's got great hands. He knows how to put the puck in the net. He knows where he's both, where he's supposed to be on the ice. Um, so um, he's got a strong, you know, package of tools. It's just I think his skating could really keep him from being an NHL player. Unfortunately, um, he really needs to work on his skating, and I, I think. Was it was it him that was working with Barb Underhill? I think um, if he is, that's great. I mean, she's she's the best. I mean, if not one of if not one of the best, she's you know, if not the best, she's one of the best in the business in terms of you know getting guys more burst and, and teaching them better techniques. Um, so he's 
you know, in that sense, he'd be putting in the work, and that's that's what he needs to do if he wants to make it to this level. But I think that's the big thing that's going to keep him keep him from being a potential NHL player. Um, which brings Wade Allison, somebody that I, for whatever reason I totally forgot about earlier. Wade Allison, I'm really high on. Um, I, I'm not sure if he's made. His, I don't think he's made his decision yet in terms of going back to WMU. I know there's rumors about him becoming an alternate captain there next year if he does decide to go back. Um, if I were him, I would turn pro. Make the money. I mean, <laughs> you're going to turn pro eventually. I, I know it's it's hard to leave college and hard to leave your buddies necessarily, but turn pro, man. <laughs> turn pro. And he, I mean, he's one of the few guys in the system that's a shoot-first type of player, too, which is something the Flyers obviously lack. Um, Bill Meltzer says he's going back for his junior year. Steven, yeah, I, yeah, uh, I think I've, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet. If you guys want to double check that for me, I mean, that'd be great, but I don't know if that's been confirmed yet. Will Hextall go get a goal score from Terry? Um, I hope so. That would be, that would be near the top of my wish list, honestly, if not the top thing. I mean, guys like Mike Hoffman in Ottawa is a guy that they were rumored to be interested in during the trade deadline, so I would assume that he would probably revisit that this offseason, now that there's not like a hard and fast deadline on getting a deal done. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned so many players you know, through the, the articles I wrote, guys that are more um, goal scorers. It wouldn't be a bad idea at all, though. I think that's one of the things they should look to do. Whether it's a top six guy or somebody they eventually just use in the middle six, whatever it is, got to get some guys that are a little more inclined to shoot first. Um, I think it's important moving forward for them. Let's see if there's anything else we got here. Any shot at Tavares again from Terry? Um <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess there's a shot. I mean, look, totally you know, biased Flyers-colored glasses opinion. I think the Flyers are a nice situation for Tavares. They have Couturier. They have Patrick. They're a young team on the rise. Um, you know, their coach is, isn't necessarily great, but I don't know if Tavares really has an opinion on Hackstall necessarily. Not a strong one anyway. Um, you know, that's a team where I think – whether they contend in the first year may not necessarily be the case with Tavares, but they can certainly contend throughout his the length of his contract, which is something that not a lot of teams can say that are going to you know have the cast base to to sign him. Um, but you know, realistically speaking, I just I don't know if it's, if there's a fit. I mean, they have the cast base to do it if they want to. So if I was actually obviously you're on the phone with him and engaging his interest, but with a guy like Tavares, it's hard to say. You know the Flyers are going to be near the top of his list just because they were a first-round exit playoff team and they they've only made the playoffs twice in the last three years and they've gotten killed in both series. Um, he knows them well. He plays them every year, um, so it's possible. But I think I really think Vegas is, is a is a nice landing spot for Tavares. I mean they have they have the cap space. They're in the Cup final as an expansion team and they're only going to get better. You know as far as using their assets in their cap space to get better. So I think Tavares should consider Vegas pretty strongly, honestly. Um, 
Jody, Artemi Panarin is an FA next summer. We'd love him on the Flyers. Yeah, Artemi Panarin's, I mean, I hated the fact that he won Rookie of the Year over Ghost, but he's a fantastic player. I love watching Artemi Panarin play. Um, going all the way back to, you know, Worlds, um, he's just he's just fun to watch. He's one of those just absolutely creative players that you can't help but take your eyes off of when he's out there. Uh, you know, cost of acquiring him, whether, you know, Columbus is, is going to stick to him or not, it's it's hard to say you want a player that's still a year away from free agency because you just don't know what the contract status is going to be throughout the year. Um, I would imagine Columbus want to bring him back. But, yeah, I mean, our time, he would be phenomenal to have. Um... I think that's about it for the questions. I mean, in terms of, there's just one thing I wanted to cover real quick to get on my soapbox to end this, I guess. Um, saw a lot of stuff on Myers yesterday on Twitter about, you know, yes, he's ready, and no, he doesn't have enough time, you know, in the AHL, all that kind of stuff. And I feel like a lot of times as, as fans and as armchair GMs, we tend to get into this, mold this idea where it's one extreme or the other either no he's never going to be ready not never going to be ready but like you know you get into this either super conservative mindset with a player where he's only going to be ready when he has so much ahl experience or so much playing time etc or you get into it where everybody just wants him now and I, i think you know it's important to recognize that every player is different right i don't think you can really pigeonhole people and prospects into like this it's not a perfect recipe basically is what i'm trying to say you know you can't really come up with a perfect concoction for every single player and say okay claude Giroux spent half a year in the ahl after spending two straight years in junior and then made it to the nhl that's the mold we're going to follow like i think that's a mistake i think every player should be treated differently um you know, it's it's okay to have a checklist, but I th- I don't think it should be a strict checklist. I think you need to have some leniency there, some flexibility there, so that if a player comes in like a connecting and blows your doors off, then you should be able to play. Um, so you know, just because Phil Myers only has 50 AHL games under his belt, I don't think that's necessarily a reason to keep him out of the NHL next year. I think it's you know you use the tools available to you. you use his metrics you saw that he was a strong play driver you saw that you know for most of the 50 games that he played he was a very good top pairing defenseman in the ahl and then you take his off-season training you take his you know his dev camp his training camp his preseason and you mold it all into one and if that looks like an nhl player this year for you he should be in the nhl this year if not then he goes back to the AHL. And the same applies to junior players, in my opinion. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things, I, I think it's, it should be a unique situation for every player. It shouldn't be something where you have a strict guideline to, he has to spend so much time in junior or so much time in the, in the AHL or whatever. Um, treat every individual as they are, an individual. And, you know, I, I think if you do that, you're gonna find more success um, earlier with guys instead of you know potentially leaving them down when they could have helped you out. Um, so that's my little soapbox moment to kind of finish this up, I guess. Um, 
thanks guys. Thanks for joining me. Um, you know, on this Memorial Day weekend, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people are, are out there enjoying it now rather than sitting here looking at my face. But um, it was great to talk to all of you. Um, you know, I'll be seeing you guys. I think later in June, um, possibly for some draft talk. Hopefully, get into some free agency talk, some trade talk. Maybe next I'll actually make some moves by then. Um, but for now, signing off. And uh, have a good weekend, everybody. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>